0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Three states just declared emergencies to try and combat monkeypox outbreaks. It's the latest looming public health threat. At the same time, COVID-19 remains a strain on the health system. To top it off, heat waves are causing deaths and hospitalizations. We'll take time to put some of the current health threats into perspective and find out how you can keep yourself and your family safe. We're live right after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A tribe in the San Francisco Bay Area is fighting a proposal to develop a gravel pit mine on sacred land. Christina Honested reports from California. The
2: Amamutsun tribe says sacred land two hours south of San Francisco near Gilroy must be preserved. Valentin Lopez is chairman of the Amamutsun tribal band.
3: Your stock has been. The most sacred site of the Amamuts and band for thousands of years.
2: He says the land was stolen 150 years ago and never returned to the federally unrecognized tribe. And despite repeated attempts to this day, they've been denied access to what's now called Sergeant Ranch. The acquisition corporation of America bought the land and is seeking a permit for a sand and gravel mine on part of the land. The environmental impact report was just released. Lopez says it would be devastating to his tribe and the environment.
3: It identified significant and um, unmitigatable cultural resources and spiritual resources at Eurostat. It also identified they will have significant and and unmitigatable conditions there to the wildlife, to the wildlife corridors, and to the waterways, etc., so the impact of this of the mining permit, should it be approved, would be horrendous.
2: The company disputes the land is sacred to the tribe. The Amamutsin tribe is calling on California's governor to step in and support a land back reconciliation process. Public comment on the mine permit at Sergeant Ranch ends September twenty sixth. I'm Christina Anstead reporting for National Native News.
1: A campaign is underway to rename Lane County in Oregon to recognize the region's original indigenous inhabitants. KLCC's Brian Bull reports.
4: Critics say Joseph Lane's pro-slavery sentiments and actions against Native Americans while Oregon's
2: territorial governor doesn't jibe with today's values. Richard Pettigrew of the Archaeological Legacy Institute in Eugene says he's pushing to change Lane County to Kalapuya
4: County to reflect a more truthful narrative.
3: The Americas didn't begin with Christopher Columbus. People have been here for at least 15,000 years. The Calapooya are our link to that longer, deeper past. And the Kalapia people are not extinct. They are here. Their descendants are here. They're part of our community. So by changing the name, we are connecting ourselves to a deeper history.
4: Pettigrew helps people petition county commissioners to back his efforts. Another option commissioners have looked at is keeping Lane County, but in honor of Harry Lane, Joseph Lane's more progressive son. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull.
1: Cheyenne and Arapaho Television recently celebrated its 10-year anniversary. In 2010, the Cheyenne and Arapahoe tribes received a federal grant for an educational TV station. Darren Brown is senior content producer.
0: We've been here for 10 years, and that is significant because there are 39 federally recognized tribes here in the state of Oklahoma. But to my knowledge, we are the first and the only uh, tribes here that actually has an actual broadcast signal. Now, it is a we're licensed as a low-power TV signal, which means we get a very very small coverage area, but we're, we're, we're small but mighty.
1: The TV's native-based programming includes Indian Road, Making Regalia, and the children's show, Fry Bread Flats. New seasons of those shows are in the works, and the new Zoom-based interview show, Red Talk. Cheyenne and Arapaho Television is affiliated with First Nations Experience, or FNX, a PBS station in California. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: National Native News is produced by Kawanaka Broadcast Corporation
5: with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org.
0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. It has been a hot one this summer. Officials in the Pacific Northwest blame the heat for at least 14 deaths. The punishing temperatures potentially affect unsheltered relatives, elders, and outdoor workers disproportionately. Also on the rise is the threat from the monkeypox virus. The World Health Organization recently called the disease a global health concern. Although it is largely treatable, it may lead to serious illness. And the latest COVID-19 subvariant is being labeled the most transmissible variant yet. It's enough to make a person not want to leave the house. The good news is there's a lot you can do to help minimize the threat. Information is your best defense, and that's where we come in. As always, we'll be taking your calls about the health threats you're most concerned about. Let us know what you're doing to stay informed and safe in your community. Our number, 1-800-996-2848. So please call now so we can be sure to get your questions answered. Once again, that number is 1-800-996-2848. We have two health experts on the line who both bring a wide body of knowledge and experience to today's show. First up is Dean Seneca. He is an epidemiologist and the CEO of Seneca Scientific Solutions Plus. He is Seneca and speaking with us from New York. Dean, you're a familiar and trusted voice on NAC. Welcome back.
6: Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to know that, uh, excuse me, I'm a I'm a trusted voice. Uh, just trying to do our best.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You certainly are very, very credible, Dean. And let's start with the heat. Uh, it's crazy hot this summer. Even places like the Northeast where you are, the Pacific Northwest, triple digits aren't the norm. How serious is heat to our overall health and well-being, Dean?
6: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the heat, actually in the Northeast, you know, we like a little bit uh, it to get a little warmer. But when it starts to get really, really hot, like it has been, you know, it can have, you know, uh, huge uh, health impacts uh, on, on the population and the community. You know, um, a little sarcasm to that. I had a friend that said, you know, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing um healthy about having a tan. So, you know, um, you know, so, you know, with heat, you know, you have to really stay uh, hydrated. Uh, that's number one, drink a lot of water. Uh, the other is that, you know, you really need to watch for, um, you know, skin infections, sunburn, which could cause skin cancer, you know, um, and other and, and other things, exha- exhaustion. You know, the, the heat can really take a big toll on you uh, if you're not uh, well-prepared. Um, and or well hydrated.
0: So yeah, those suntans, not necessarily good for our skin, all those UV rays. And Dean, last week it was estimated that 38 million people in the U.S. were living under active extreme heat advisories, watches, and warnings. So what about folks that, that might not have uh, sufficient air conditioning or, or or maybe they're homeless and they can't just go inside it and cool off what what do those folks need to do to to protect themselves
6: you know and man, you know counter blessings you know um those that that don't have uh the capability to get in an air conditioned room um you know what they really need to do is just to keep the sun off of them first and foremost, you have to stay hydrated, so drinking plenty and plenty of water. is is key to to staying healthy or, you know, trying to um, uh, avoid the heat heat exhaustion that you get uh, with the massive amounts of heat. So staying hydrated is one. The other is keeping the uh, direct sunlight off of you, you know, trying to stay in a shaded place, you know, stay in an area where it's cooler than being under the direct contact of the sun. And then the other is, you know, wear something light, you know. you know it, it's important to keep uh your skin covered uh so you know you, you don't get those uh unhealthy suntan uh, uh, parts of your body and uh you know which brings other exposures and you know could just make um make um, make surviving in the heat uh, you know very 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 uh, uh or being comfortable in the heat I should say um you know um, very difficult
0: Well, i certainly can understand the importance of being in the shade because it's always a good 10 12 13 degrees cooler just getting under a nice tree or under a porch or something like that dean let's talk about monkeypox now this is it's getting a lot of headlines the world health organization is calling it a a global health concern how serious is it here in the u.s
6: well you know i've been telling everybody i think people have not really been taking this serious and i basically have been telling everybody monkeypox is no joke. Um you know we have about fifty six hundred cases in the US and the cases are climbing. Um cases primarily 90% or better are with MSM, men having sex with men. And um this monkeypox is is terribly painful. Um I mean it's awful. I mean it comes with a whole slew of other of other illnesses. Um most people who have monkeypox, there's a core comorbidity to it so they have an sti or an std Uh, um, like 40 percent of them may have even uh are are transmitting hiv so um it's uh it's it's something serious that we need to really uh, get a better handle of and lock down Um, and you know throughout the united states i think there's only like two states now Montana being one of them, that they have not found the virus yet, I want to say. Um, so, you know, I, I think we need to do, uh, we really need to get ahead of the game on this and um, and start to do the precautionary preventive measures, but most importantly, getting vaccinated, um, especially if you're a population that is at risk of getting monkeypox. Um, you know, this is greatly different than COVID, you know, where COVID you know there was an aerosol spray kind of um, a component to it, and that's how you would become infected because it, the uh, the air that would be lingering from people from uh, infected patients. Um, but you know with with uh, monkeypox and actually it's very similar. You know uh, as you know I did I was part of the Ebola response. I was in Sierra Leone, Africa. I know uh, a lot about Ebola. Um, exposure is very similar uh, with uh, with monkeypox. You know, um, you know, it's it's through really a lot of close contact, uh, the exchange of bodily fluids, and because of that, there is a social network phenomena um, with this that some people are at higher risk for infection than others.
0: Now, you mentioned getting vaccinated. Is it the same vaccination as smallpox for monkeypox?
6: Uh, there there are similar uh, vaccinations. Um, there is a, an AMCAM 2000. Uh, we have about 100 million doses of this vaccination stored, and this is a live virus. But that will only be distributed in the case of a bioterrorism uh, event or, you know, bioterrorism threat. Um, so, you know, because this is a live virus, it's really not good for a uh, live virus vaccination, excuse me, uh, this is not good for patients that have pre-existing conditions or compromised patients. So we're going with the, you know, the Janssen uh, vaccine, which is a also a live virus, but it's a replicated. It's rep. We call it replication deficient um, w- versus active deficient, um, um, and so that's why we're just dis- distributing this vaccine. Uh, we have about 150,000 of those vaccines throughout the U.S. Um, they are be, uh, being distributed to our state health departments. So IHS, to my knowledge right now is not on the, uh, um, not one of the agencies that are going to be distributing this vaccine. Um, so, uh, the, yeah, this new vaccine is, that they that we are going to distribute, um, has a, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very different in that it doesn't have the active, uh, live component, um to make it uh, majorly threatening to those that have pre-existing conditions or immune uh, com- compromised.
0: So Dean, who who really should be most concerned about getting vaccinated and where specifically should they go because I'm reading that some patients are having challenges navigating the outbreak and they're not always getting up-to-date information from physicians and other public health officials with regard to how to treat the disease and prevent its spread.
6: Well, according you know to the WHO, they said ninety-eight percent of the cases are with men who have sex with men. Uh, in the United States, we're seeing over ninety percent of the cases that are among men who have sex with men. So, if you are in a group uh, or your social network, and if you are a person that um, is, is a man that has sex with men, um, uh, you're you know that, that is the group uh, that should actually target getting, um, uh, vaccinated. Um, you know, also those that, um, that are around that group or people that are engaging in risky sexual behavior should also be, uh, getting vaccinated. Uh, they showed in some case studies that I saw that, uh, pretty much everybody that has been infected was not wearing a condom. Um, So, you know, um, the the social phenomena or the group that we should be concentrating on are primarily uh, men who have sex with men. Uh, So those are the folks that really should be uh, focusing on uh, getting vaccinated, that we should focus on getting vaccinated. But also uh, with that, you know, comes, you know, special things like special messaging, uh, the importance of education, um, you know, so that we encourage people in this population to get vaccinated.
0: We're speaking right now with Dean Seneca. He's an epidemiologist in New York. He is Seneca. And like I said before, he is very credible when it comes to health issues. And right now we're talking about monkeypox and um, World Health Organization recently declared it is a global health concern. And he's Stressing uh, the importance of taking precaution and paying attention. This is not a joking matter. It's serious. Also, the heat. It's bad out there in a lot of places. So definitely stay in that shade. Stay hydrated as well. Take care of your health first and foremost. Questions, comments, phone lines are open. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. The New Mexico institution is celebrating 100 years. The Gallup Intertribal Ceremonial features traditional song and dance and draws indigenous participants from all over the globe. We'll hear more about the centennial event from the organizers. That's on the next Native America Calling.
5: Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at amerind.com. That's a m e r i n d.com.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. You can always reach out to us by writing in to comments at NativeAmericaCalling.com or you can leave a comment on our social media pages. We thank everyone for their comments on Facebook for our show yesterday about the controversy surrounding the headdress gifted to the Pope. If you want to comment or leave a question as we tackle summer health concerns, you can do so on our Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is one eight zero zero nine nine native or you can just pick up the phone and call because nothing makes us happier at native america calling than hearing the voices of our listeners so what are you waiting for one eight hundred nine nine six two eight four eight that's also one eight hundred nine nine native we're speaking right now with dean seneca he is an epidemiologist and dean before break you mentioned uh more than five thousand cases of monkeypox in the u.s are you familiar? Are you aware of any cases in Indian country at this point?
6: You know, I'm not. And actually, it's uh, it's funny that you ask that. You know, I'm part of the National Indian Health Board's uh, Infectious Disease Committee. And about a week ago, I wrote to NIHB and I said, um, you know, we should put out a statement, you know, regarding monkeypox. I mean, we should call a committee meeting and we should really try to get ahead of the game on this, you know, and... Um, And the contact at NIHB said, I reached out to Indian Health Service and, uh, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, I haven't received a response. So, you know, um, I I don't know really uh, what the IHS is planning on doing and and, uh, getting ahead of the game on this. Um, I do know that we have um, many uh, two-spirited people in our community, which we all love and endure and need to embrace. Um, And that, you know, in order to make sure that our two-spirited folks are protected, um, we need to make sure that we get proper messaging out to our communities on that. But uh, to say that, you know, no uh, Native people are infected, uh, we'd be fooling ourselves. I'm sure we have quite a few uh, Native people out of these uh, almost 6,000 cases uh, that have uh, monkeypox.
0: Dean, you mentioned the importance of of healthcare messaging, and and I want to talk about that because monkeypox, it seems like there's some apathy with regard to it, and and I think a a lot of folks are also just kind of feeling overwhelmed after the last two years of COVID, and and there's almost this hesitancy now to to voice concern or to to be accused of being alarmist, and I mean, there's been public backlash to what seems like legitimate health warnings. And, and I want to ask you, do health officials have a messaging problem on their hands right now?
6: No, you know what it is? It's a public health infrastructure problem. You know, um, just like with COVID, you know, the, the monkey monkeypox uh, virus outbreak has highlighted, you know, this huge neglect and underfunded, fragmented public health system that we have in the United States. You know, um, and there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. You know, uh, we have data infrastructure that's huge. You know, we only have, I think, there's something like 20 states in the in the United States that actually collect data by racial ethnic group. Well, without good data, how do we know the severity of the outbreak or the severity of the disease or how do we even address what priority the diseases and illnesses we should uh, we should be uh, uh, working on first in our communities? Contact tracing was a total joke when it came to COVID. I was so upset and how bad we did regarding contact tracing. But the capacity at our tribal nations and our tribal epicenters is starting to build now. You know, we didn't have these things in the past, and or if they're not starting to build, do we have them in place? You know, community engagement is so huge part of Indian health. I mean, you know, our community health aides, our frontline people, All the way to our tribal leaders. Everybody has to have clear communication. And that is something that is really, really damaged uh, during COVID 19 with all this misinformation that's out there on the web and stuff. You know, we still have people that believe that this isn't real. And it's so hard when you compare like COVID to anything, when you have 40% of the population that isn't really going to do prevention or do the right thing, it's going to be hard for that 60% of the population to stay healthy. You know, and then, you know, one of the big things that was been uncovered with this public health infrastructure are simple things like, you know, bureaucratic coordination. And then, you know, the number one thing that um, that just gets to me that I've seen, that I thought the United States was the leader in, you know, I I experienced this when I was in third world countries like Ethiopia, and Sierra Leone and Afghanistan and and places that were, you know, rare remote and didn't have a very high educated population. Let's just throw that out there. And that is the issue of trust. You know, I mean, we have to trust our best and brightest uh, at times, you know, we can, we can question, you know, we can have serious concerns, we have to trust what what the you know what the science is saying, and you know we have uh, a huge amount of uh, mistrust and miscommunication when it comes to the uh, COVID nineteen. Hopefully, this does not carry over into the monkeypox virus.
0: Folks, if you've got a question or a comment, one 2848 Any questions about monkeypox? About the heat? about the latest with COVID, give us a call. We've got answers on our show today. And Dean Seneca stresses that trust is a key and we've got another trustworthy voice on our show today. Dr. Stephen Bradfute, he is an associate professor at the University of New Mexico Center for Global Health and Department of Internal Medicine. He's speaking with us from Albuquerque where it's forecast to hit 95 degrees today. Steve, welcome to Native America Calling, and and what do you think? 95 degrees feels almost balmy compared to other parts of the country.
4: Yeah, it's a a nice, uh, cool wave here for us in Albuquerque compared to what it's been lately, but uh, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm honored to be on your show.
0: Absolutely, Steve, and uh, what do folks need to be most concerned about this summer? So much going on health-related, the heat, monkeypox, this new COVID strain. Where should we be focusing our attention right now?
4: Well, I think the best thing that people can do is kind of just gauge their, their relative risk. So, you know, if you're someone that's uh, uh, prone to um, severe disease with COVID, make sure you're up to date on your vaccination. Um, if you're around people that you know have been infected, make sure to keep your distance or wear a well-fitted N95 mask. Um, as uh, Dean talked about so well earlier, if, if you're at a high risk for, you know, getting a monkeypox infection, make sure to Uh, You know check and see if you've had close contact with someone that's had a rash that might be at risk for monkeypox That has traveled recently Um, So I think just looking around gauging your relative risk for things and uh, and keeping an eye out so that you can prevent something from happening
0: Now with regard to monkeypox, could you give us some more specifics in terms of the symptoms of monkeypox?
4: Yeah, so it's um, uh, a lot of times, uh, the symptoms can vary, but in general, um, the uh, first symptoms are kind of nonspecific. So you might have a fever, um, uh, a headache, uh, swollen lymph nodes, um, uh, body pain, uh, just not feeling well. And the that can uh, happen for a few days. In most cases, you're going to have a rash um, a- after a few days of just nonspecific symptoms. And this rash can vary. It can uh, be uh, uh, kind of like small blisters, um, it can be at different parts of the body, um, it can be on your hands, it can be on your face, it can be inside your mouth. It can also be, uh, especially with this particular outbreak in uh, genital areas, um, and so it can, a lot of times, it, it can be a little confusing. It can look like a chickenpox. chicken pox, it can look like a syphilis rash, it can look like a herpes rash or something not, or even something that's not necessarily concerning. So it's, uh, typically you'll have this rash, the rash can last um, for a couple of weeks, uh, one to two weeks, uh, and then something I think that's important to mention is that you're not thought to be contagious until your symptoms start, and then you're going to be contagious until the rash falls, uh, the rash rash clears, and new skin g- grows over the rash. So, uh, I, you know, if you have any of these symptoms, and especially if you start seeing a rash and, and you think you, you know, might be at high risk, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to uh, go to your healthcare provider and get tested.
0: So close person-to-person contact, any risk at all of airborne transmission of monkeypox?
4: So there is some data that it can be transmitted that way, but it doesn't seem to be, it's certainly not as infectious as, say, like COVID or the flu uh, through those routes, or even its uh, distant, or even its cousin smallpox. Um, so there it, there can be uh, possibly transmission that way, but it has to be pretty, uh, it's not going to be uh, a simple transmission. You have to be a lot of contact rest, you know, through the respiratory route for some amounts of time. So that's the, the good news is, is that the spread primarily is going to be close contact, skin-to-skin contact.
0: And do you have any data for case counts of monkeypox in New Mexico?
4: Uh, we do. I think the CDC has its latest um, uh, information. And as of, uh, of, I think, August 1st, so yesterday, there were 10 cases in New Mexico, confirmed.
0: Okay, 10 confirmed cases. And um in the vast majority of cases, it's it's not fatal, is that correct?
4: Yeah, it's a great point. So there's two main uh groups of monkeypox, one that's uh, associated with Central Africa and one that's associated with Western Africa. And, and fortunately for this uh outbreak, uh it's the less pathogenic strain as far as lethality goes. It's um typically it's uh this particular group of monkeypox uh strain has been you know around 1% lethality it's far far less in this outbreak probably because of just better care for individuals that have been infected um uh, it is you know it is very pain it can be very painful um uh but it's not uh, it does not have a very high lethality rate which is which is good
0: Now, I I read that monkeypox was actually discovered in lab monkeys in Denmark way back in 1958, and then the first human case was documented in 1970, more than 50 years ago. How come we're suddenly hearing so much about monkeypox if it's been around almost a half a century?
4: Well, it's it's a great question, and there was a a very prescient review uh, that was written in a scientific manuscript in February saying maybe we should start being concerned about monkeypox. It's typically been a very rare disease that just... Uh, hasn't been uh, found at very high levels, um, and certainly not not globally. Um, but I will say in the past decade or so, there has been increasing case counts of monkeypox uh, in individuals, especially in parts of Africa, such as the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, where the, the monkeypox cases ha- have increased. Now, the virus typically is thought to circulate in rodents, um, and that tends to be where it is. Um, and then sometimes it'll hop into monkeys or it'll hop into people. Um, and so there has been an uptake in, in cases in Africa over the past decade or so that's kind of gone unnoticed. But as to why it's starting uh, all of a sudden to, uh, you know, to pick up much more globally is, is, um, is probably based on someone importing it um, and it's spreading amongst people and then people travel and then it spreads from there. So it's been on the uptick uh, in the last decade or so, but uh, definitely uh, not anything like we, what we've seen uh, this year.
0: So perhaps just uh, modern society and people being more mobile, traveling more, flying more, going to different countries. And, and Steve, uh, did we learn anything from COVID in terms of how to handle monkeypox now?
4: I think we probably should have. Uh, <laughs> the question of, of how well we learned. The, the, the good thing that I like to tell people about monkeypox is that we already have some things in our toolbox to, to fight it. So, uh, as, as, as Dean had mentioned, there's two vaccines that were developed um, that are uh, 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 for uh, smallpox and one of them is also approved for monkeypox even though they both are probably uh, protective against monkeypox because they're related viruses. There's also some uh, a couple of drugs that um, are approved for treating monkeypox um, and they are kind of in short supply right now and used more on a case-by-case basis, but they are some in the stockpile. Um, And so the the good thing is, is that we do have some tools um, that were developed for smallpox that will probably work against monkeypox. I think the issue is making sure that they're distributed efficiently. And that's something that I think we're still learning about how to do. But uh, the good thing is, is we're not, um, you know, we're not starting from square one here.
0: Folks, if you're worried about monkeypox, give us a call 1-800-996-2848. We've got answers to your health questions today here at Native America Calling. And Steve, you were talking about COVID, there's this new strain now, and you mentioned the importance of, of getting vaccinated. And I have read that there's a lot of folks that have just gotten tired of the COVID boosters every six months, and, and they're just not getting those boosts anymore. They've just kind of, they got their first two doses, maybe they got one or two booster shots, and then they're just kind of done with it. Um, is it safe to stop getting boosted?
4: You know, it's it's a great question, and, and something that I try to tell people is that the the COVID vaccines originally against the, it's time, the alpha variant, which seems like so long ago, uh, you know, the vaccines really did stop you from getting infected from that variant. Um, what happened is that the virus changed, and so with Delta and especially with Omicron, which is going on now, uh, the current vaccines, they... Uh, are not as effective at preve- preventing you from getting infected, but they are still very protective uh, for you getting severe disease. So what I like to tell people is, you know, the virus changed, but the vaccines still really do uh, in, uh, block the development of severe disease um, if you're fully vaccinated. So uh, it's in, there's more boosters that are becoming in the fall that are probably going to be more, um, that will include uh, Omicron uh, uh, sequences. Um, in other words, uh, vaccines that will um, be the original vaccine plus a vaccine against uh, Omicron. And so that those boosters will probably be available this fall. Uh, but, you know, what I like to tell people is the whole idea is to stop getting uh, severe disease um, with COVID. And the best way to do that is still vaccination. So I know it's, it's hard, but the virus keeps changing. And so we have to change to keep up with it. And the best way to protect yourself is to get vaccinated
0: any possibility of a COVID vaccine that will last longer than six months so people don't have to keep going in every half year and, and getting the shot?
4: It, it, it's a great question, and I can tell you from a lot of the uh, federal grants panels that I've reviewed, um, that have been on and reviewed these grants, there's a lot of research done in the United States and globally about that very thing, trying to increase the length of the immune response to COVID and also minimizing the side effects of the vaccines. So uh, those those uh, that research is ongoing. I think we're still a ways away. Um, but uh, you know, people will often get the flu vaccine every year and this is uh, something that we've done before with some viruses and for right now, that's where we are with this virus. But uh, getting vaccinated is still your best chance on uh, not getting severe disease.
0: Steve, early on when the vaccines came out, I know everybody kind of had their opinions on what they thought was the best vaccine. And some people thought it was the Pfizer vaccine. Other people thought the Moderna one was better. Now here we are, uh, what two years later, do we have definitive data in terms of like, is there one vaccine or several that seem to be more effective than others?
4: Um, I think in general Pfizer and Moderna, um, are, are the most effective vaccines that we have. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see um with the different variants and i will tell you omicron's not going to be the last variant that we see there's going to be more that come up just because of the nature of the virus so it might vary depending on which particular version of pfizer or moderna you got um but those two have have shown consistently to be very uh, effective against preventing severe disease so um moderna i think did a bit better against uh uh alpha and delta than pfizer but i think to say one is better than the other is kind of premature. I think they're both uh, quite good at preventing severe disease.
0: We are speaking with Steven Bratfute, Associate Professor at the University of New Mexico Center for Global Health and Department of Internal Medicine. And we're taking your calls and answering your questions. Anything health related, monkeypox, COVID, the blazing heat that's just uh, taken over this summer, any questions you have regarding your health, health concerns, vaccines, other issues, give us a call. We'll be right back.
5: With over 40,000 organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. That's why AARP brings together valuable resources to help navigate veterans' options, including no-charge veteran employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, and access to discounts. AARP is on a mission to support veterans. More at aarp.org veterans. AARP supports this program. You're listening to Native
0: America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still plenty of time to comment or ask a question about today's show. Are you worried about monkeypox? Are you worried about COVID? Are you worried about the blistering heat? Call us 1-800-996-2848 and we have a caller on the line right now, Nez, listening in central Florida. Hello Nez, you're on the air.
3: Hey Sean, how you doing?
0: Doing well, thank you.
3: Uh yeah, I I wanted to uh touch briefly on uh, heat related illness and, and the heat wave that we're seeing um, here where I am in central Florida uh, well I work for for an organization uh, a grassroots organization um, of farm workers and one of the things that we're seeing with this heat wave is um, uh, people suffering from those uh, heat related illness symptoms more common um, more often than, than they used to and um, I, th- I think it's really important to start uh, for, for our officials to start looking into this and, and putting in some uh, protections to to make sure that farm workers are protected against the heat. It, it's really, um, you know, we, we have recommendations from OSHA, but we don't have a standard that, that really puts into place practices to make it uh uh, to the regulation I, is the word that I'm looking for. We, we need we need to have those regulations in place so that we can protect workers.
0: Well, thanks for calling in. And yeah, that's a, a really good point. People that that work outside, uh, farm workers or even other folks, laborers that are outside in the heat during these blistering summer months. I'd like to ask Dean Seneca to, to comment on that in terms of uh, either OSHA, either employment practices or public health policy to to safeguard against folks that have to be outside regardless of how hot it is. Dean, what's your thought?
6: Well, uh, first off, you know, again, to stay hydrated. Uh, The other is to stay in a cool area. Um, But, you know, given some thought to this, um, you know, um, in, in that cool area, it'd be good if there were like fans and things to help circulate the air to try to keep it cool on you. You know, but in these farm worker situations, you know, I'm almost wondering if there could be some sort of support from the county or local areas there to have almost like a a mobile uh unit that could be available uh for the farm workers there. You know, kind of like a, almost like a mobile clinic that can go and uh address kind of heat re- related uh illnesses and things uh in the uh, in the farm worker population. Um you know, I mean I I you know those farm workers put our food on our table and they do a damn good job of it. Uh, we need to do all we can to make sure that their health and their safety is cared for.
0: We really do. And and you mentioned even just having a tarp set up with uh, one of those portable evaporative coolers or something like that, that could make a, a huge difference uh, amount of difference with just keeping people that are outside workers a little bit cooler during the summer months. We've got another caller on the line, Robert, listening in Albuquerque on KUNM. Robert, thanks for calling in today.
3: Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, I had a a question about the vaccines and uh, the science around women's health.
6: Um, I noticed, uh, or rather my wife noticed her hormones and her cycle were completely disrupted every time she got A vaccine and uh there wasn't a lot of talk about that and side effects and
0: but but then you know her sister saw it uh her mother saw it um her our women in, in our circle have also sort of reported it and i'm just wondering you know i can find it anecdotally on in a google search but i'm just wondering if there's any science that
6: you know of that is pointing to this and looking into this i just i feel like the woman's side of this is not being studied as deeply Thanks.
0: Thanks for that question, Robert and and Steve. I'm going to go ahead and defer to you. Um, side effects with regards to, to to women's health and and the vaccines. Any science behind them?
4: Yeah. So I think it's a great point. There has been some uh, recent uh, discussion of exactly what the uh, the caller was mentioning uh, with some um, changes in in and people after the COVID vaccine, and so. I, uh, I think there is some data suggesting that might be the case with the, uh, in certain individuals. I don't think it's a, uh, it's extremely common, but it can happen. So I know there's some more studies on that. So something that I like to point out is that uh, it's, if you've had any sort of a side effect from from a COVID vaccine, there there's definitely ways to report that. And the uh, regulators uh, take this information so that they're if there are uh, uh, side effects that weren't noticed during the trials, they can incorporate that when, in their safety profile of the vaccine and tell you about things to look for. So there's uh, the CDC has a reporting mechanism for that. Um, there's apps, uh, the VARES app, where you can just report if you've had some sort of side effect from the vaccine. So uh, the way these trials usually work is you go through three phases, phase one, phase two, phase three, with increasing numbers of people. And then if the safety profile looks to be uh, overall more uh uh protective than the potential risk then it gets approved but then there's monitoring after a vaccine is approved because there's so many more people that get it to try to catch some of these side effects that weren't caught earlier so overall i think it's something that people are starting to report now it's being looked into um and it's it's good to mention these things um but again i think the uh, another key point is the uh the the key is uh, you know if if you're at higher risk of getting an, uh, a severe disease then you are at a, a risk of, of one of these side effects. That's uh, definitely something to uh, to bear in mind because you really don't want to get severe disease.
0: And Steve, what are the latest COVID vaccination recommendations for children?
4: Yeah, so there's there's vac- vaccines now that are available for uh, uh, for kids. Um, uh, they they've they did a really nice job. They they were they tried a couple of different doses. Um, and children, and so they found that some of the doses that they were hoping would work didn't. So instead of uh, 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 approving those, they uh, changed the dosage and redid the trials. So uh, uh, vaccines are available for children uh, for COVID, um, and there are um, uh, different ones for different ages. Uh, right now, I believe it's a, a one version for six, uh, children six months through five years of age, and then there's a, a different Uh, amount of the vaccine for five and over. Um, So I believe uh, uh, the vaccines are available from starting at six months old and older for everyone.
0: Thanks, Steve. Let's take another caller, Michael, listening in Anchorage, Alaska. Michael, hello.
3: Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, Michael. Thank you.
3: Great. Uh, Yeah, I just have a couple of quick comments. Uh, uh, First one is that, you know, frequently we don't realize that there might be some good within a crisis until after it's over. Uh, COVID on being ongoing, that's not the case. One of the one of the good things that's come out of it is that it has given people the opportunity to take more personal responsibility for their wellness, which has made our work as practitioners a whole lot easier.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let Steve respond to that. Um, What do you think in terms of people just um, being mindful of these issues and and taking better care of themselves? What's your thoughts, Steve?
4: Yeah. And I I think uh, sometimes you don't know how good you have it until something happens and really makes you refocus on, on, on what you can do, you know, to protect yourself. Uh, I, I tell people now, you know, people will ask me about masks or should they travel? And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, let's talk about um, are you at high risk? Are you around someone's high risk? Um, what should you do to be uh uh you know uh you know safe without but while still being able to live your life right so uh i think that's a really good point and i'll be honest it's not something i'd really considered because i'm feel like i'm always trying to play catch up with all the different infectious diseases that pop up but i think that's a really good viewpoint mm.
0: we had another caller unfortunately they had to to drop off the line but they wanted to send out a reminder to check on your elders and be mindful that it's very dangerous to leave children and pets in cars in this heat, and I can't stress that enough, just how quickly people can become overheated and dehydrated, as Dean Seneca mentioned earlier, the importance of staying hydrated as well. And let's go back to Dean, and Dean, I wanna talk a little bit more about COVID and and what we're seeing uh, across Indian country at this point in terms of um, any more lockdowns, are we seeing social, distancing guidelines being mandated in different tribal communities across Native America? Where, where are we kind of at right now with COVID in Indian country?
6: I think it's, it's really a mixed bag. Uh, overall we are seeing cases rise. We've actually seen some hospitalization rise, uh, rising. Um, some communities in Indian country are, you know, um, really impacted and then others are not. Um, uh, just like Dr. Uh, Steven was saying, Uh, You know, uh, the vaccine is a tremendous help in uh, reducing uh, infection, but also uh, the main point, reducing hospitalizations. And, um, you know, those communities that are well vaccinated, you know, um, are showing a lot more promise. And we do have communities that are that are unvaccinated or uh, only half of the population is vaccinated. And, you know, in those situations, those communities are still struggling. Uh, many of those communities, I don't want to point out, are right in your backyard uh, there uh, in New Mexico. So, you know, overall, what we have to do is we have to start really, um, you know, bringing things back into the fray before, you know, infections get out of control or we have to go to lockdowns and masking and those kinds of things. Um, you know, um so, you know, my advice is to watch what the local rates are, to watch how the spread is locally, and, you know, from there, make the wise choice to practice, you know, effective prevention, you know, safe social distancing, wearing a mask. You know, I, I think, um, you know, one of the biggest uh, criticisms I had against CDC is when they told people that it was okay to take the mask off. I said, you know what? that's not a good idea because you know what, you will never get that mask back on. So, you know, um, you know, I really do think that we have to really watch, you know, uh, what's going on uh, in your local area and what's going on in the region and within the state, you know, to really get a determination on, you know, how much we need to really, uh, practice prevention, but hopefully everybody, is is practicing prevention. We have some states that are a little bit more conservative like New York. Um but then we have some states that are you know pretty uh, uh pretty open uh like you know North Dakota and, and Arizona where you know um not we don't have a lot of people practicing prevention. So um you know um but it, my for me a- as an epidemiologist and I'm not a physician uh, you know people say, well, is this over? Or, you know, can we go back to how it was? And I'm like, you know, I I don't know. You know, I I still think that we have a, uh, you know, we're seeing cases rise. It's in the middle of summer. That is something that's very unusual. You know, kind of the virus environment is a little off. We're seeing viruses pop up that we never would uh, in the middle of the summer, for example. And then, you know, we still have the fall and the winter to come, you know, and I'm just hoping that you know, okay, that this Omicron virus, it will mutate. It will be, it hopefully it mutates and it becomes more infectious, but weaker and strength, so it's not causing uh, morbidity and mortality. Um, but you know, we always have to be cautious. And like I said, you know, when things are quiet, as an EPI person, and you know, my colleagues at CDC would say this all the time, that's when we have to be the wor- the worry the most that's when we have to have our guard up the most is when things are quiet. So, you know, for me, you know, we have a fall coming, you know, I'm hoping that this virus doesn't mutate where it is, you know, more deadly and less and and something like less contagious. So, you know, monitoring, um, educating, community, communicating, um, you know, with uh, the, you know, the physicians, frontline workers, all the way to the community members, are all critically important in staying on top of this virus.
0: I want to ask Stephen, um Stephen, you know, Dean mentions that I think that's everybody's worst fear, right? Is that the virus will continue to mutate and ultimately will will come up with this really deadly deadly highly transmissible transmissible strain. It's like everybody's worst nightmare and um you know how how realistic is that and, and what are you most worried about going into the fall months with regard to the coronavirus?
4: Well, I mean, I think the good news is, is that pretty much everybody in uh, uh, throughout the United States has had, they've been infected, they've been vaccinated or both. And there's so many different variants that have come through that people have some level of immunity to the virus. Um, and so that gives me hope that um, with the next variant, there'll be at least... Um, you know, some immunity, even though it might not be completely protective, maybe it'll still protect against severe disease. That's, that's the hope anyway. So something I think that's important to realize, is we always talk about antibodies, which are important at sticking to the virus and not letting it get into cells. And that's how Omicron has mutated so that it can get into cells and, and bypass some of your antibodies. But there's another arm of your immune response called T cells, and they kill cells once they're infected with the virus. And that's how they help control. And a lot of the mutations that are uh, that evade Antibodies don't evade T cells, so you may have some level of immunity in your T cells that you may not have in your antibodies. So the hope is, is because we've all been vaccinated, I've been vaccinated three times, I got COVID in Portugal on a recent trip. We all have some level of immunity to these viruses, and so the hope is, is whatever the next variant is out, we'll still be able to deal with it. Um, But I think it's you know you're not going to know until it happens, but uh, that that, that's the hope anyway.
0: And you hear folks talk about. When a point when COVID becomes endemic, as opposed to being a pandemic, and uh, are we seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? Do you think, Steve?
4: You know, it, it's a good question. I want to say I hope so, but I've I've learned not to make guesses about about this virus. Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that we're sequencing worldwide all the time so that when there is a new variant, we're able to detect it very quickly and respond appropriately. Um, We have a lot of medications that are not affected by the variants um, uh, so far, such as the Paxlovid and the Molnupiravir. So um, my hope is that it becomes endemic and it's just not an issue as long as you're vaccinated and you take precautions and there's medicines that are available. I think it's too early to tell.
0: Well, listeners, we've now reached the end of the hour. Dean Seneca and Stephen Bradfruit, thank you both for joining us today and sharing up-to-date information and facts on a wide range of health matters. Excuse me. I also wanna thank all of our callers today. Great questions, great dialogue. Join us here again on Native America Calling tomorrow. We'll discuss the upcoming 100th anniversary of the Gallup Intertribal Ceremonial. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Sean Spruce. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed
2: with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day
0: we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers
5: for Disease Control and Prevention.
2: Jangajit, I cananga kaha katohtununga. Tachikai tununga. Siema saat ikaiut kang katoqtingalret mutzut kaitnik unomik imirigina. Kang katoqt ki musvich mitalilra nasunretu visari healthcare.gov kusokaya 1-800-318-2596. Unakinunuk katoqt centers for Medicare and Medicaid services.